before he goes to the cross. He's reminding them of something that he's told them before, that he is going to die, but he won't stay dead for long. And he's preparing his disciples for how they're going to feel when he dies and how they're going to feel when he's raised from the dead. He tells them when he dies, they will weep and they will lament, but when they see him again just three days later, that their sorrow will turn to joy. And then it happens. Right there in verse 22, he gives his disciples a showstopper of a promise. It almost takes your breath away when you connect with it. Take it there. Just look at it with me now. He says, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. And here it is. No one will take your joy from you. No one will take your joy from you. And friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, that promise applies to you. No one will take your joy from you. And that's all I want to talk about today. Because I think that promise is worthy of spending some time unpacking, understanding what did Jesus mean by it and how does it apply to me. To unpack this promise of untakeable joy I want to approach it by answering three questions. Question number one is, what is Christian joy? What do we mean by that anyway? Question two is, why can't it be taken? And then question three is, what do I do if I don't feel it? What do I do if I don't feel it? I want to begin by acknowledging today that there are many people in this room who do not feel joyful in their faith. And so we're going to spend some time at the end of the sermon today thinking about how do we fight for that joy that we're promised in Christ. Three questions. What is Christian joy? Why can't it be taken? And what do you do if you don't feel it? Now, if you have found uh, John chapter 16, I'd invite you to stand in honor of God's Word. I'll read for us from John 16, verses 16 through 24. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father? So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. This is God's word. You may be seated. Okay, question number one for today. What is Christian joy? Christian joy 
is a feeling of deep and abiding happiness that comes from knowing Christ and equips us to follow him. Christian joy is a feeling of deep and abiding happiness that comes from knowing Christ and equips us to follow him. Now, as we unpack that definition this morning, I want to begin with a little bit of a disclaimer because there are just a lot of ways to get this wrong, ways to make the promise of Christian joy like a burden, to feel like if you don't have this joy, then it's your fault. That is not what we are after at all today. The joy that Christ promises us is a gift, and it's a gift that nobody can earn by themselves, and it's a gift that nobody can take from you. And so our goal with this first section today, this first question, is to dig into the Scripture to think rightly about Christian joy. And along the way, I'm going to try and point out some ways that sometimes people get this wrong. And so I want to take this definition that we started with and pick it apart one phrase at a time. And in, in case it isn't clear yet, today we are talking about Christian joy. This is a kind of joy that isn't based on our circumstances. It isn't a celebration of a great promotion at work. It isn't a celebration of a personal best on your marathon time. It doesn't depend on getting the things you want, and it isn't erased when you don't get the things that you want. Christian joy is based on a relationship with Jesus. Now, there are a couple of hints at that in this passage this morning, but honestly, the most obvious place that this um, becomes clear to us is just a few verses earlier in chapter 15. Remember that this um, passage we're studying today is part of an extended teaching time that Jesus is having with his disciples. And the notion of joy has come up before in this teaching. And so if you'll allow me a sort of quick uh, scenes from the previous episode, I think we can remind ourselves of what Jesus has already said about joy because our text for today assumes that we're already operating from the same starting point. Christian joy is based on a relationship with Christ. Now, back in chapter 15, Jesus uses a wonderfully helpful analogy for what it means to be in relationship with him. He uses the analogy of a vine and its branches. Jesus says that he is the vine and that we are the branches, that we get our life from him. And at the end of that famous passage, he says to his disciples in chapter 15, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And so we notice that the fullest joy that we can have comes from a relationship with Christ and that one of the things that flows through this vine out into his, into his branches is Christ's joy. Christ gives us his joy, this joy that he has always experienced with the Father and the Spirit from all of eternity. We come to experience that joy. And friends, I am so tempted to just go back and preach those passages now, but I just want you to remember that Jesus has already told us that our joy comes from knowing him, from being in relationship with him, and that is the starting point of the text for today. Christian joy comes from knowing Christ. But Jesus takes it one step further here, and he helps us to understand what that kind of joy feels like. Part of what Jesus is doing today is helping us see that joy is an emotion that we feel. Take a look down uh, at, 
at the verses in verse 20. He says, you will weep and lament, and then you will have sorrow. Jesus is talking about weeping and lamenting and sorrow. These are emotions. And in the same way, he's talking about joy. Jesus is telling us that when we are followers of Christ, we will experience a distinctly positive emotion because of our relationship with him. And he gives us an example to show us what he means. He tells us in verse 21 that the kind of joy we will feel is the kind of joy that a woman feels when a baby is born. Verse 21 says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Now, many of you may know in my day job that I am a doctor. And as a part of that uh, job, I've had the privilege to witness many uh, different childbirths. And I will never forget the first natural childbirth that I ever saw as a third-year medical student. It was a little bit traumatic for me. <laughs> a few laughs in the audience, thanks. Um, it was traumatic because this woman was uh, really in a lot of pain. And everybody on the whole delivery ward knew that she was giving birth naturally because she had been screaming for hours. And I really thought that it probably couldn't get any worse than it already had, but then the moment came for the baby to be born. And it got worse. I was pretty convinced that this woman was going to die and the way that she was just screaming in agony. But then it happened. The final push. And in one single breath, this woman's scream of anguish turned into a scream of joy. And it was no longer her screams that filled the room, but the screams of the child. And everyone in the room had rejoiced over what had just happened. The sorrow of the hours before had turned into the joy of a baby being born. And friends, Jesus says that that is the kind of joy that we will experience in our relationship with him. When you are a follower of Jesus, you will experience a distinctly happy emotion like a baby being born. Now, I want to take a moment here and acknowledge that this metaphor may be a difficult one. It may be a difficult one, especially if you are struggling with infertility. It may be difficult, especially if you have had a miscarriage. And we want to acknowledge that actually it's precisely because it is such a joyful thing when a baby is born that you are feeling this pain and sorrow for when things don't go the way that they should. And we lament that with you, friends. You are not alone in that. And Jesus lament those things with you. And if that is you this morning, I want to take a moment and just encourage you that the joy that Jesus is talking about here is like the joy of a baby being born. It is not the same thing. You can have that joy when you are in Christ, even if you have never seen a baby being born or if you have never had a baby. 
The kind of joy that we're talking about today is meant to sustain us through those sorrows. And the kind of joy we're talking about today is untakeable even from that kind of pain. We'll come back and say more about that in a moment because the other thing that I want to encourage us with this morning is that this image of a baby being born is not the only image that the Bible uses to describe our experience of joy in Christ. And I want you to take a moment now and just think about what experience in this world have you had that feels joyful to you? Maybe it's sharing a wonderful meal. The Bible uses that example all the time of a victory feast shared with friends. Maybe that's something that feels joyful to you. Or the Bible talks about reveling in the creation of God and and maybe going out and seeing a sunrise or standing in the, the shadow of the mountains or listening to the waves of the ocean. Maybe that's what feels joyful to you. Or maybe it's a moment of quiet. Or maybe it's sharing a wonderful relationship with a loved one. All of us know what it is to feel joy, even if it's been a long time since we felt it. And what Jesus is telling us here and what the Bible consistently says is that that kind of joy that we feel is the kind of joy that we will feel with our relationship with Christ. Christian joy is a feeling of deep and abiding happiness that comes from knowing Christ. Now, friends, I think this is one area where people do sometimes tend to go astray. And so I just want to comment on a couple of ways that sometimes people get this idea of joy being a feeling wrong. So the first uh, way that I think people get this wrong is in the way we think about joy and happiness. So as I was preparing for this sermon, I was talking with people about the notion of Christian joy, and almost every single one of them said to me very quickly, hey, don't forget to say that joy isn't the same thing as happiness. Those are different things. And it really struck me how important that was to the people I was talking to, and I started thinking about it some. Why is it that people see this big distinction between joy and happiness? And, and I think part of it just comes down to the fact that it's challenging to describe emotions with words and that everybody sort of has a set of preconceived notions about what certain words mean. And I think in our culture, we use the word happiness to be a little bit more superficial, to be tied to circumstances, to be a little bit more fleeting. Well, that's definitely not what we're talking about today. That is not the deep and abiding happiness that we have in Christ. But honestly, I think happiness and joy are really a lot closer than many of us think. Because the kind of joy that we're meant to feel is a happiness. It just happens to not be tied to our circumstances, and it happens not to be fleeting. But the kind of emotion we have is distinctly happy. It's deep and abiding happiness. So I think that's one way that sometimes people make too much of a distinction between joy and happiness. I really feel like they're very close to each other. Now, the other way that people sometimes get this idea of of feeling joyful wrong is by thinking that to experience joy, you have to have no sadness at all. This is something that psychologists call all or none thinking, as if the experience of joy means that you can't have any sadness, and then if you have any sadness at all, then you can't be experiencing joy. Well, friends, that's just not the way the world works at all. 
As Christians, we are meant to be able to hold both joy and sadness together. And I think this, this relationship between joy and sorrow in this passage today is, is really interesting and important for us to understand because Jesus tells us in, in verse 22 that we will be sorrowful, but our sorrow will turn into joy. So is Jesus saying here that Christians will never experience sorrow again? No. He's saying to those disciples in that moment, listen, I'm going to die. And you're going you're gonna to lament and weep, but then I'm coming back and you are going to see me. And when you see me, that sorrow that you had over my death is going to turn to joy. He's not saying that Christians will never experience sorrow. If you just flip back to the chap- top of chapter 16, Jesus tells his disciples that people will put them out of the synagogues, that indeed the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. Friends, these disciples were going to their death for the fact that they believed in Jesus. They knew what sorrow was. And Jesus was telling them that their joy is going to be untakeable even in that sorrow. That they are going to feel distinctly happy in their relationship with Christ even when people are trying to kill them. You know, kids... I've been thinking about uh, this relationship between joy and sorrow, and one of my uh, favorite examples of this is in this movie from Disney a few years ago called Inside Out. I don't know if you've seen it. But it's this movie about a little girl who's going through a really difficult time in her life. And the main characters are actually her emotions that takes place mostly in her head. And these uh, main characters are aptly named Joy and Sadness. And really, the whole movie is about joy trying to get rid of sadness because she thinks that in order for her child to really experience the fullness of joy, that there can be no sadness at all. And I hope I'm not spoiling too much of the movie for those of you that haven't seen it, but what we come to realize at the end is that emotions are much more complicated than that. All of our emotions are mixed together with joy and sadness, and that is true for Christians. When Jesus says that you will experience a distinctly positive emotion, a deep and abiding happiness, he doesn't say that you will experience that and no sorrow. He says you're going to experience that alongside your sorrow. And that brings us to the third point of this definition that we've been unpacking, because we've said so far that Christian joy comes from knowing Christ. It comes from our relationship to Christ. And it's a distinctly positive emotion, a feeling of deep and abiding happiness. But friends, this joy is meant to equip us to follow Jesus. This joy is meant to equip us for the lives that we have in front of us that are going to be filled with sorrow. I've been thinking a lot about this um, extended teaching time that Jesus has been having with his disciples. And You know, at first, I think I'd always imagined it sort of like a Thanksgiving dinner where people were, where I hope that his his disciples had this sweet moment, this sort of last moment before he went to the cross where they could laugh and remember things that had happened, where they could enjoy this meal together, where it just felt restful. But you know, the more that I have considered it, I don't think this meal was like a Thanksgiving dinner at all. I think this meal was like a war room briefing 
where Jesus was telling his disciples, hey, I am about to die, and this is what you're going to need to continue to live this life that I have called you to. In fact, if we go back to the top of chapter 16 again, Jesus says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. And then verse 4, I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Jesus is prepping his disciples for battle. And he's saying to them, hey, this rucksack that you're going to pack with you as you go out to follow me, it doesn't need an extra pair of socks. It doesn't need an army knife. It doesn't need extra rations. You need to pack joy with you for this journey that you have in front of you. Because these people, they're going to try and kill you. And the only thing that you have that's going to sustain you through that is my joy that I give to you through my relationship with you. If you don't have that, you're toast. And friends, I have seen many people try to struggle through the burdens of this life without the joy that comes from knowing Christ. And friends, they can't do it. They get crushed under the weight of the burdens of this life because these sorrows in this life are real. And if you haven't packed joy, if you don't carry that with you, you have no hope of following Jesus to the end. We need this joy that comes from knowing Christ that is distinctly a positive, deep, and abiding happiness because it equips us to follow him. That's what Christian joy is, a feeling of deep and abiding happiness that comes from knowing Christ and equips us to follow him. So then question two for us this morning, if that's the answer to what is joy, question two is why can't it be taken from you? I think that is the real heart of this passage. Jesus says again in verse 22 that no one will take your joy from you. I wonder, does that promise surprise you? Do you think he really means that? Does he mean that the uncertainty around your future school choice? Does he mean that the uncertainty around your relationship status can't take your joy from you? Does he mean that even the disappointments of middle age when things didn't work out the way you wanted them to, does he mean that those things can't take your joy from you? Does he mean that the fact that your children require more of you than you could possibly offer to them does he mean that that could, couldn't take your joy from you? Does he mean that not having victory over sin? Does he mean that guilt and shame couldn't take your joy from you? Does he mean that old age, where your body is failing and your friends and your loved ones are dying, does he mean that those things can't take your joy from you? Yes. Jesus meant that exactly. He meant that nothing and no one could ever steal the joy of your relationship with him from you. How could that possibly be? Well, friends, the reason that Jesus says that the joy his disciples feel could never be taken from them is that because they will see him. They will see him. He says, a little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while, and you will see me. 
Here he's talking about the time between when he dies and when he's resurrected. The literal three revolutions that the earth made on its axis back in 33 AD. It was Thomas putting his hand in the side of his Lord who he'd seen crucified just a few days before. Imagine the anguish they would have felt to see their friend, the person they had believed would rescue them from their sin, to see him dead and then raised to new life. Why can't the disciples' joy be taken from them? Because Jesus is alive. Now for us, we don't see Jesus literally yet. But the fact that he is alive is the point. The fact that he is alive is what anchors our joy. It cannot be swept away. Maybe put another way, your joy can't be taken away because nobody can take Jesus away from you. Not even death could defeat him. Christian joy has as its rock-solid foundation the truth that Jesus paid the penalty for your sins in his death and demonstrated victory over death in his resurrection. Christian joy is anchored in the death and the resurrection of Christ, and it can never be taken from you because of that. When I was in college, I uh, took some time to go to Costa Rica. And of course, when you're in college, you make some questionable decisions. One of those decisions was to take a long hike in the jungle towards the end of the day. And it was joyful, actually. We really enjoyed seeing God's creation on all the little dart frogs and all the amazing wildlife. But that decision became slightly less joyful when we were coming home and we realized that this little stream that we had crossed had actually become a really fast-moving river because the tide had come in. And let me tell you, you don't actually want to be in the jungle in the evening with a big river between you and safety. And that was especially problematic for the few of my friends who didn't know how to swim. And so what was, I think, the best Indiana Jones moment of my life, we tore down a vine from a tree and some of our stronger swimmers swum it across and they stood there and they anchored that vine. And then some of us stayed, stayed on the near shore and anchored that vine. And it meant that our friends who didn't know how to swim could walk across holding onto this vine. And friends, I'll tell you what, Christian joy is exactly the same way because we are holding on to the vine of Christ and that vine is anchored in the past. It's anchored in what he did in his death. We can turn around and look and see, look what Jesus did for me on the cross. He loved me. He paid the penalty for my sins. That anchors my joy. This joy is not going anywhere. And then we can turn around and we can look at his resurrection And we can say he is risen from the dead. Nobody can ever take Jesus from me. This vine isn't going anywhere. Our joy in Christ can never be taken from us because Jesus can never be taken from us. And that joy is anchored in his death and his resurrection. Friends, nobody can ever take your joy from you because Jesus is alive. But I wonder, what do you do when you don't feel that joy? We've talked already about what Christian joy is. 
It's a deep and abiding happiness that comes from knowing Christ, that equips us to follow him. And we've said that we can't have it taken from us because Jesus is alive. But what do you do when you don't feel that joy? I think we have to acknowledge that many of us feel weighed down by the sorrows of this world and that these sorrows are real. And apart from Christ, friends, these sorrows would be joy killers. They would be joy stealers. And so how is it that we can fight for this experience of joy in Christ? Well, I have five strategies for you this morning. Five ways that we can fight for this joy. And if it is you this morning, if you are not feeling as joyful as you'd like, I just want to say I would never presume to prescribe a particular pathway forward for your unique situation. But I hope that some of these strategies will apply to you and that they might be helpful to you as you fight for joy. So, strategy number one. Remember, you are not alone. Strategy number one in fighting for joy is to remember that you are not alone. Friends, many of us in this room don't feel this kind of joyful experience in Christianity. Well, we've already mentioned there are a lot of reasons for that. But I think it's important for us to acknowledge that this is a really common experience that people have for many faithful Christians over the generations have described this kind of lack of joy that they know that they should feel. And it may be here that you're sitting, that you're sitting here this morning feeling like you haven't experienced this kind of joy in a long time. Or maybe you think, maybe I've never experienced this joy. Or maybe things have taken an even darker turn for you. And you are struggling with a deep depression where you can hardly feel anything at all. And if that's you this morning, I, I want to just take a brief aside and speak directly to you. Because I want to acknowledge that depression is real. That it can last a long time. That it's unpredictable. That it's not your fault. And that people often need medical help to deal with depression. And if you are struggling with depression this morning, you might be sitting here hearing this sermon as another heap of coal on your shoulders, another burden to bear, because you don't feel the joy that Christ promises you. But friends, if you are struggling with depression, I hope that you won't hear, that, this, hear this message that way. I hope instead that you will hear this as an invitation, an invitation to come, let us walk with you in your sadness, in your fight for joy. Because let me just dissuade you of a lie that everyone tells themselves when they are struggling with depression. You are not alone. There are many people in this room sitting here right now who feel the same kind of sadness and depression that you do. And one of the gifts that God has given us to fight this battle for joy is each other. And so my prayer is that you will today, 
invite somebody into this pain that you're feeling. Please, come talk to me after the service. Come talk to any one of the elders. Come talk to any one of your friends sitting in this room and invite them to come walk with you in your sadness. Invite them to come listen and pray. I hope that our church will never be a place where people will struggle with their depression alone. But friends, if you are fighting for joy, whether it is feeling a little bit unjoyful or whether it's all the way to spiritual depression, one of the greatest comforts that God gives us is not only each other, but the fact that God promises that he knows you and that he loves you and that he understands what you're going through. One of the places that you can fight for joy by remembering you're not alone is seeing that the Bible gives voice to how you're feeling. God knows how you're feeling. He knows it so well that he put it in the Bible. And you can find expression in that. I'm just going to give you one example from Psalm 13. This may be helpful to you if you're struggling to find voice in your prayer to God. David, a man after God's own heart, said this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Friends, in our fight for joy, we are with you. And so is God. Remember, you're not alone. Strategy number two for fighting for joy is don't give up. Don't give up. Wait on the Holy Spirit to complete his work in you. Friends, we've been talking about the fact that Jesus is our source of joy. And one of the greatest gifts that he's given us is his Holy Spirit, that we might experience that joy. When you read the list of the fruits of the Spirit that Paul gives us in, in 1 Corinthians, joy's right there at the top. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Yeah, you get the idea. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And what that means is that you cannot earn this experience of joy yourself. You cannot generate enough goodness to feel it. You can't change enough circumstances in order to experience the kind of happiness that Christ promises. You have to wait on the Holy Spirit to do that work. Now, friends, I don't know why the Holy Spirit leaves some people in these long and unpredictable periods where they don't feel joy. I don't know. But I do know that if you want any hope of experiencing this joy, it just can't depend on you. And that is remarkably freeing. I think that's especially true, by the way, if you are walking alongside someone who is struggling with this kind of joyless 
helplessness or this kind of depression. I think when you're walking alongside someone, you can feel helpless to, to restore to them the joy of their salvation. Well, that's because you are helpless to restore to them the joy of their salvation. And that means that you don't need to try and fix their circumstances because, friends, fixing their circumstances isn't going to fix the problem they have with joy. Instead, what you should do is be patient. Be patient for the Holy Spirit to do its work. Be patient. Walk alongside them and don't give up on them. Because what I do know about the Holy Spirit is that he is faithful to complete the work that he started in you. Strategy two, don't give up. Wait on the Holy Spirit to complete his work in you. Strategy three this morning is to turn to God in prayer. Just because this kind of joy doesn't depend on us doesn't mean that we don't have a part to play. Doesn't mean we don't have a response while we're waiting for the Holy Spirit to do his work. And so how do we fight for joy? We ask God to give it to us. Take a look down at verses 23 and 24. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now let me just clear up here quickly a little uh, potential confusion in this verse. Jesus isn't saying that his disciples have never asked him for anything. That doesn't make any sense. We know that not to be true. What he's saying is that when I die and am raised from the dead and am asc- and ascended into heaven, the way that you pray is going to change. Because when I'm in heaven, the way that you pray is going to be to pray in my name. And what he's telling his disciples here is that when we come to our Father in prayer in the name of Christ, that our joy will be full. And so the encouragement this morning, friends, if you are struggling to fight for joy or if you are walking with someone who's struggling with depression, go to your father in prayer. Go to your father in prayer and ask in the name of Jesus that he would restore to you the joy of your salvation. I wonder if you are struggling with depression, when was the last time that you asked God to restore joy to you? Friends, keep asking. Keep asking, because we need to depend on our Father for it. Strategy four. Strategy four is look to heaven. I think one of the challenges that can be really hard for Christians when we are weighed down with sorrow is to know how to handle those things now. And for the disciples in this passage... Jesus was telling him, hey, your sorrow is going to turn to joy when I come back and you see me. But for us, we don't see Jesus yet. But the same thing is true. Our sorrow will turn to joy when we see Jesus again. We have a pregnant faith now. We are in a time when the weight of this world is heavy But one of the gifts that God has given to us is the promise of a future where there will be no more sadness, 
where there will be no more tears, where there will be joy and peace and rest, and we will see Jesus clearly. And when you are in Christ, you can look forward to that promise now. And you can connect with that hope now, and it can give you joy as you wait. Friends, even though we cannot taste that joy of heaven fully, we can taste it truly right now. And so strategy number four for fighting for joy is to look to heaven. That brings me to the last part of fighting for joy, the last thing that I want to talk about today. And it brings us back to the heart of this passage. Strategy number five is fight to see clearly by hearing the word of God. Feeling joyful is about seeing Jesus. And fighting for joy means fighting to see Jesus and ourselves more clearly in light of what Jesus has done for us. And friends, we live in an age when we can't see Jesus. But he has revealed himself to us in his word. And so the way that you fight for joy is to go back time and time again to be reminded of the good news of the gospel in the Bible. You have to convince yourself of what's true because this world is shouting so loudly to convince you that it's not true. I wonder if you have been sitting here this morning and you don't consider yourself yet a follower of Jesus, how this message of joy has been landing on you. I wonder if you have thought to yourself, how is it that I handle the sorrow and pain of this world if I don't have joy in Christ? What does joy look like for me? And how could I possibly have the kind of deep and abiding happiness that Jesus is promising his disciples here? Well, the answer, friends, is that you need to repent of your sins and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus. Repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus, and this joy will become your joy. He will give it to you as branches of his vine. And I hope that as you are listening this morning, you will hear this message as an invitation to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. But friends, maybe you've been sitting here this morning and you've been realizing that you don't feel this joy. And I think the same message of repentance actually is important for Christians to hear. Because godly grief over sin always precedes godly joy in Christ. Grief over sin always precedes joy. And so maybe, maybe one of the reasons that you aren't experiencing joy in your life is because you have some unrepentant sin in it. There may be some sin that you are hiding in the darkness that's keeping you from being in the kind of relationship with Christ where you can feel this joy. Now, I know that's not for everyone to hear this morning. Maybe you came in today and you had the shame and the guilt of your sin covered. And if that's you, then this encouragement and admonishment is not for you to hear. 
But, friends, if you are seeking this joy, then I think it is worthy of consideration. You should ask yourself, is there something that I am doing in the darkness that's keeping me from experiencing the light of the joy of Christ? The other part, friends, of seeing ourselves clearly in light of what Christ has done for us, it's not just seeing ourselves as sinners in need of a Savior. It's that seeing that Jesus has saved us. You know, sometimes I think we want God to do more for us than just save us. We look around at this world and we see all of the terrible things that are happening and maybe even to us and we think, how could God have let that happen to me? I mean, what has God done for me lately? But friends, the way that we fight for joy is to connect with the joy of our salvation. God has already given you every spiritual blessing and the fact that he rescued you from your sin. He paid the penalty for your sin. Friends, you are a miracle. Do you think about yourself like that? Do you think, do you realize that what God has done for you is a miracle? Have you ever thought Hey, if I could just see a miracle, then I would really believe. Then that would be enough for me. Well, I've got news for you. You're sitting in a room full of miracles. Because all of us in our sin, we're blind. But now we see. All of us were living in the kingdom of darkness, but now have been transferred to the kingdom of life. All of us were dry bones, given new life in Christ. All of us had hearts of stone that have become hearts of flesh. Friends, we were a dry piece of wood being consumed by the fire, and Jesus, in his gracious mercy, came down and picked you up out of that destruction, and he grafted you into the vine that is himself, and now you have new life in Christ. Friends, we were dead but now we are alive. You want to fight for joy? You go back to that truth time and time again. That wellspring will never dry up. Fighting for joy means remembering the truth that the Bible tells you that God loved you enough to send his son that you would not perish but have eternal life. Oh, Lord, help us, we pray. Let's pray now. Oh, Father, we, we so desperately long for the joy that you promise us in Christ. We so desperately long for a time when this sorrow and sadness and pain of this world will not be our experience. Oh, Father, we need help. We need help. And so we pray like David did, that you would restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Thank you that this joy can never be taken from us. Thank you that Jesus is alive. And I pray, especially for the people in this room who are feeling joyless, for whom it has been a long time, that you would come and enliven their hearts today, that they would reach out to someone in this room, and that we would celebrate the joy of our salvation together.
It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.